Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. It is September 14th, and finally, he's back, the impervious. Haven't spoken in a while. Last time we talked was August 25th, so good to have you back, and how you doing? Uh, chomping at the bit for the show, but Ben's been on vacation. How you feeling, Ben? You have a good time? Hopefully, you got to detach a little bit. Dev, I'm feeling refreshed. I actually, I brought like every single book I put onto my Kindle was investing related, but I didn't look at the market once uh, while I was on break. So it was a good opportunity to unwind and uh, just think kind of high level about uh, some market stuff. And I'm just trying to put myself in, in your shoes. I'm off uh, the weekend before, week before that. There's no volume, nothing going on. Great, great week off. I can just see you throwing up that out of office, not a care in the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'd say to the listeners, uh, you know, free career advice on going on vacation. I think um, you got to do out of office, not just on work, but you might as well do personal too because I, I find I get personal emails that like often are, there's some action related to it, uh, including from my parents, which is funny. So you got to do work, you got to do personal, put the office on Slack and just, uh, you know, get get some podcasts you like, get some books you like, plan some activities and just have a great vacation. All right, let's get into some market stuff. Um, so last time we talked was August 25th, SPY was at 344 at that point. Um, today we're looking at the September 14th, so two-ish weeks removed and the market closed at 338.46 today. So what do you think has changed since then? And how do you feel about the market now versus when we talked in late August? Well, funny that uh, the, well, at least the SPY uh, closed at 338, which is not too far off from that number because since then we saw the blow off top that I was talking about on that episode with an interesting uh, side action where the VIX was actually rising at the same time. So while there's you know plenty bullish uh, folks out there that think it just keeps going on forever, it seemed pretty obvious that a correction was going to happen. And sure enough, uh, at the end of previous week, we saw a nice basically 10% correction both on S&P 500, but specifically tech names look super vulnerable. And so here we find ourselves uh, having hit at least a relative bottom somewhere around 3,300 for the SPX or 330 for, for SPY. And asking ourselves, you know, is, was that just a correction or is this part of a larger down move, dare I say, a rug pull? Um, and what, what is the likelihood of either happening? Well, in, in, to answer your question, what has changed? Really nothing, which is kind of the amazing thing. And for a long time, people had been talking about, you know, for there to be a major down leg, there needs to be some type of catalyst. We'd seen many things come and go. You know, we talked about China trade, obviously the COVID stuff, any number of fiscal and monetary uh, little tidbits coming out. But nothing really seemed to make a major dent other than, you know, maybe a, a, a 
spurt in volume during the trading day, but that unchecked upward movement just sort of finally fell off what appeared to be a cliff, especially if you're looking at the chart. Um, so it's dropped enough that I think we've seen uh, some of that, that diehard permeable sentiment, which is still there, uh, get a little bit weakened. And I can see some trepidation um, amongst especially retail investors and a lot of the, the folks that really entered the game and rode all the way from those March lows up to uh, that all-time high just last, last week or the week before. And might now be questioning if, you know, we're going to get back there right away, if this is just a correction. And even though I've been pretty bearish, extremely bearish at times on that run up and, you know, had the benefit of feasting on that down leg, I do see the likelihood of a big move up potentially to a new all-time high being more reasonable uh, than a retest of March lows, like a lot of people have been calling for, and those voices are now getting louder and louder. Um, and while I see that being in the future, and certainly that's baked into the VIX futures, if you look at in October, there's a huge spike in volatility. So a lot of people are looking for protection and insurance out there. Um, but we're still a good month and a half away from the election, and I think that gives enough time for all types of chicanery, uh, especially with the election on the line. And nothing has really changed in terms of you don't have a better alternative for where to put your money than equities and is still the main directive of the Fed, who we'll be hearing from later this week. Not that we expect to hear anything different um, other than that Jerome Powell has moved into a deeper layer of inception as far as not thinking about thinking about raising rates. And nothing has really changed in that regard. So price, nothing like price to change sentiment. We, we closed today up you know, a little over a percent, just more like a percent and a half, um, but, you know, a fairly bullish day with some selling. And if we get a couple more days, just green days in a row, that market deja vu is going to kick in and the same type of FOMO buying and just the same names like Apple, Tesla, and the NASDAQ are going to return just because, you know, I don't think all of a sudden mega cap tech is somehow not still the most valuable uh, game in town, even if they were extremely overpriced. But, you know, the, the more optimistic point of view is definitely that this is a correction and needed and necessary for an ongoing bull market. And so that feels like the more reasonable thesis right now, then we're just going to plummet into the core of the earth from here and that there's just nothing to stop us but gravity itself. So um, talking some generalities and, and definitely interested to get into some, some little tidbits about what else is going on in the market. But interesting to, to see your take having just come back and cracked open the newspaper for the first time in, in you know, real life and, and seeing all that unfold. Yeah, I'll give you my fresh perspective on it. So I, I think when I got back, what I was interested to see was, okay, clearly there was a sell-off. Clearly there are some headlines, but what's being affected? Is it tech? Is it cyclicals, industrials, consumer discretionary? What's really bearing the brunt of the sell-off here? And it was tech. You know, it's like tech really uh, sold a ton off the top. And, and, you know, some of the cloud stocks we talk about, whether it's Cloudflare or Fastly, um, really we're making big moves down. I mean, Apple definitely um, saw a significant sell-off. I mean, it's probably 10% correct off the top, at least. Uh, same with Tesla. But, you know, a lot of cyclicals I've been following. And, and as a quick aside, like, you know, when the March 23rd low hit um, and, and leading up to that, even throughout a lot of April, I was looking at stocks trying to figure out what is the market saying is going to file 
uh, from bankruptcy, right? So I, I was on my screen, I was trying to find 52-week lows, trying to find multi-year lows. And at that time, it was the right, the candidates you'd expect, so both hotels and uh, airlines, but also, you know, a bunch of stuff in retail. Um, you know, one name I've been following has been Dave & Buster's, you know, so you can't imagine a stock that would get hurt more than Dave & Buster's, which is based on video games and drinks and kind of uh, going out with your friends to eat, drink, and, you know, have fun. So uh, that's, uh, and Chef is another one I've talked about in the pod, a bit friend of the pod. Uh, but some of these like small cap cyclicals are like making post COVID highs. Um, same with the like larger industrials. Also, if you look at that too, um, I think I tweeted this out, but like if, if you were to look at everything outside of tech, so you know, we're going into energy banks, utilities, um, they really haven't been impacted by the sell-off as much as tech has. So I, I view it as a technical sell-off, but even then, um, tech is still priced close to perfection. And I, I still think if you look at some of the software as a service multiples, it's still not unusual to see every, anything trading 20 to 30 times sales or if not north of that. Uh, we'll get into this more, but like looking at some of the IPOs this week, Snowflake especially, Snowflake, the, the last I heard, is going to um, come out at 73 times sales. So you know, Berkshire is also buying that offering. And um, we'll get into our uh, Berkshire versus Triple Q but it's like even Berkshire is buying tech now. So uh, tech still feels like valuations are, uh, are pretty optimistic. Uh, even when you look at like a 10 or 20% correction on some of these names, um, the multiple to uh, forward revenue is still really, really high relative to where it has been. So uh, this is a long-winded way of saying, uh, you know, coming back from vacation, I, I was like, sure, there was a sell-off, but you know, ultimately it feels like it mostly impacted tech and it really wasn't all that bad. Uh, do you agree, agree with that? What, what, what are your thoughts on uh, that take? A hundred percent there, Ben. Great minds think alike. It was amazing to sort of see uh, the actual relative strength in other areas like uh, utilities and, you know, banks even flashed for a, a little bit there. Um, and so this this is really limited to a couple of the, the mega tech names and some of the other areas, some of the growth areas that had definitely been uh, seeing a lot of inflows. And you know, this the, while there wasn't much breadth in the rally leading up, there wasn't a lot of breadth in that sell-off. So I think that definitely does point more towards sort of healthy action in a bear or in a bull market. And I, I think that one of the things that hasn't changed for me is that I'm still, I by far prefer trading in the tech stocks. Um, just with the price action there and also the, the high amount of volume that will continue to be there. Um, buying the dip is, is most certainly not dead, even though you know, plenty of hands have been caught in the, uh, the, the cookie jar uh, last week trying to do that. Um, I certainly looked at Friday as an opportunity to buy the dip after several days of selling. There's going to be some relief and some retracement if we're looking you know, purely at a trading point of view. But from a fundamentals point of view, it's, I, I think there's still a lot of um, growth to be found. I don't think that there's the same limitations in tech and in some of the, the cloud stocks and software as a service stocks that you and I have talked about and are big fans of. Uh, so there, there's nothing that has changed from, from that point of view to think that these aren't still great investments or that you didn't just get a great discount on, you know, what just a few days before was the hottest stock and people who loved it 10% higher are now balking at, at adding on the dip. And so for, for someone like you that has no fear about buying at the top, I don't think there's anything at this present time uh, to stop you from, from entering. But in, in the longer term horizon, you know, I think that even though right now the, the market 
is still intact in a lot of ways. Um, you know, with the VIX now being uh, well below 30, uh, despite surging a little bit at the end of the day, uh, and then a pretty downward movement, and also the dollar falling off here, looking like it's starting to, or it may have topped uh, above 93. So um, the dollar dropping value just boosts the uh, price of equities through inflation and whatnot. And so there's there's definitely a lot of, of good things and po possibly even value now to be found uh, in the market in some of those more forgotten sectors. So um, it does kind of look healthy and it depends on what we see over the next couple of days. If this is actually a trend, we're, we're really talking in a pretty small time frame here after a big sell-off as to you know, whether this, this is still what, what's going on moving ahead. Um, but in, in the next few months, I, 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 or at least <laughs> next few months, maybe the next month or so, see the opportunity for some even bigger highs in, in some of the same names that had even run up that much. So um, there's still the, the potential for an even bigger blow off top on the table um, if nothing really changes materially from fiscal or monetary standpoint or even gets accelerated somehow. Um, but I, I would be very cautious, definitely still looking out at the um, election time frame. So for, for the investor like you, Ben, um, I don't know how much I'd, I'd be looking to add right now versus maybe looking for some opportunities to take profits. But uh, as a trader, you know, on a swing trading or day trading time frame, now, there's so much to, to like both on the bull side and bearish side that this just feels like a much better market to trade than it was, you know, back in August with with not much going on other than just Apple and, and Tesla really cruising. Definitely. And on the bull and bear side uh, subject, there are some individual names I want to pick your brain on. So we're going to start on the bull side first. So you had wanted to talk about DraftKings, which just uh, inked a big deal with ESPN today stock was up uh, in the in the high teens not sure what it uh, closed at um but uh they they were kind of were the second sports gambling name to get a, a big boost uh, in the market the other was uh pen which traded up for different reasons rosenblatt coming out with an 80 dollar price target and a 300 dollar price target on the bull case i believe that was two weeks ago um stock was up big today also so a lot of bullishness in the market on sports gambling um as you know i i I'm a big uh, holder of MGM and IAC. Um, MGM kind of has trailed some of the casino stocks. I think people are worried about um, it having so much Las Vegas and major casino exposure as opposed to the more regional casino operators um, like Penn. But to me, this is really a story about online sports gambling. Um, MGM already has an app out and playing in a ton of markets, made a has made $130 million in 12-month trailing revenue off that MGM, its online segment. Um, I, I must point out that Penn doesn't even have an online gambling app yet. Um, I think uh, Barstool is going to come out with their app this week, but again, untested, uh, $0 in revenue so far. But uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on both Penn and DraftKings, uh, if the ESPN and DraftKings thing is meaningful, and if these outmoves in those stocks are justified. Yeah, so quite quite a day today for DraftKings, ripping seven bucks. It's like a seventeen percent move on that news, and this is definitely a stock that that moves on news. And no sooner than when I faded DraftKings, do they go on this unholy tear? And you know, I was not shorting by any means, but I certainly hope that that my doubt uh, gave gave DraftKings the the boost that it needed. That said, it, it definitely has the feeling of an extreme sort of speculative bubble. 
um, in the betting space. Uh, you know, while, while there's big opportunity and obviously billions of dollars being spent on betting, um, I wonder how much is priced in right now as far as an assumption that you get the full slate of games and the full viewership which you know are already seeing stories about how viewership for Sunday night football is down and just wait till after tonight uh, when Monday night football is on and get to see the same articles about how viewership is down from a year ago. Obviously, there's extenuating circumstances, but uh, the, the, from a fundamental standpoint, I, I, and you've probably seen the numbers more recently than I have, you know, I, I don't know wh- what the convincing price is or multiple here for betting, especially when you're sort of betting uh, pun intended there, uh, on more more regulatory uh, permission to continue doing business. And I, I see some parallels here with weed stocks uh, in that big run-up in terms of just the hottest thing in town. You can definitely see uh, the growth story, but there's there's the issue of once there is actually the implementation, do you have the demand that's expected? Are there supply chain bottlenecks? Are you still limited by um, the legislation and everything else? So those are too many uh, variables and extenuating circumstances and other players involved that sort of have an effect on uh, the price or, or potential profitability that, that are kind of too too hard to predict. But that said, you know, I think that $60 is a reasonable price target for DraftKings, but this is definitely going to be a very volatile stock, um, especially if there's a sell-off. But from a momentum standpoint, I don't know how much higher it can go after a $7 rip, but um, there's there's definitely some upside. But if you're, if you're a long-term buy and hold, is now the time to get it? I think you can definitely find a much better entry than this. And Penn, I'll be honest, I feel like there's definitely a psychological... Uh, a block for me to, to playing that with the associations with a uh, um, Davy Day trader. So I can't really comment there, but they're both grouped together. Also LCA um, or is that FCA? One, one of those SPACs, which is bringing Tillman Fertitta's business to, uh, well, allegedly, I don't know if the agreements come down um, to, to market the golden nugget um, betting service. And so that's certainly been on a very speculative ride but uh it does feel very toppy here um you know good for for maybe some day trading uh if it's another update you know DraftKings is going to probably continue there um but buying the top you know i i it's hard to tell if this price will return especially so, so close to uh, ipo but if there is one place to look for some comparison there uh it's it's definitely our friends in the weed stocks which hey they may may be making a comeback here for for the election season but uh you know Always remember the weed stocks. Smoke weed every day. As always, killing it on the soundboard. I mean, I would say another parallel with the weed stocks is like, there's no doubt that uh, legalization of marijuana and sports gambling ultimately will be secular growth stories. And there's a huge amount of room to run in terms of total addressable market as more states legalize. And I think they will legalize. But are, are the pure kind of plays in the stock market the way to play them? I mean, I remember whatever it was, Canopy Growth Corporation was kind of the de facto weed stock for quite a while. Uh, Constellation took a stake. Of course, Constellation does Corona, the beer, and all other types of brands. Um, So, you know, when I was thinking about that, it's like maybe these larger food conglomerates are the way to play it and they can buy their way into the space and maybe achieve a higher multiple as a result. Uh, With with the gambling stocks, like you think about something like MGM, you know, bias, I'm biased, obviously. I, you know, for all the listeners, I do hold quite a bit of the stock. Um, MGM, you know, ha- has a huge casino presence. They have a great live experience. They've already built up their digital brands quite a bit. 
you know, they have some cash on the balance sheet and they have access to the capital markets. They could go out and buy a fan duel. Um, and, you know, we, we both know there's Yahoo Sports' segments for daily fantasy. There's all types of daily fantasy sports out there that have a fraction of the user base of DraftKings. Um, but at, at the same time, you know, we both play DFS. We both bet on sports. If the lines are good, if the overlay is good, you don't really care what platform you play on as long as, you know, you get paid out. So I'm heavily skeptical of a lot of these Wall Street analysts who claim that DraftKings has, you know, a first mover advantage or Penn because they have Barstool, uh, have, you know, 100 million users who are going to be captive to an app. For every, anyone who's ever bet on anything, like, you don't care where you make the bet. You just care that you have a trusted counterparty who can pay you at the end of the day. Um, so very bullish on MGM. I think the market is giving them a traditional casino multiple um, and is completely ignoring the digital brand growth story. Of course, IAC took a 12% stake uh, a, a month or so ago. You know, they have a huge amount of expertise building um, Angie's List, building Match.com, um, you know, building uh, various travel websites and online brands. So th- these are people who know um, online marketing and online branding really well. So I, I'm very bullish about IAC and Barry Diller and Joey Levin's ability to impact MGM. And I think the stock should re-rate as people start to understand um, that it can play in the same, uh, same pool as DraftKings and as Penn can. So if you want to play the sports gambling story, I, I think you try to do it through MGM or something other than Penn and DraftKings, which, which feel enormously overvalued to me. Um, so th- that's my two cents on it. Um, Anything to add on the casino side, or do you want to move on to a more uh, bear story of uh, Nicola, one of our favorite friends of the podcast? Oh, let's 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 move on here in 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 Nicola, and I'm I'm interested to get your take. But uh, th- this is just a story that keeps on giving here today, with Nicola having some uh, pretty hilarious allegations coming out at them in that Hindenburg report, amongst other things, that their demo of one of their trucks. Uh, driving down a hill was was actually it just being rolling down a hill it, it was not actually under any type of uh, uh, it wasn't driving and just a number of other things with the the answer from Trevor Martin the CEO basically being like nah dude on on Instagram but this is this is a whole mess and I don't even know where to begin but h- how can you not be bearish on on a, a meme stock that's sure to join the likes of of Juicero or, or WeWork or other lesser successfuls that did or hopeful, you know, stocks that never actually made it to market. And so, you know, I think Nicola will definitely stand out amongst all of them. Yeah. I'm looking at the stock right now and I, I really, I've been kind of following the story. I read some of the Hinderberg report and I followed some of the tweets of Nicola's denial, which really isn't even a denial. It's more like a lukewarm. Like we said, we did this, which technically means this. And Hindenburg was too harsh. Uh, but I think a lot of the Hindenburg stuff appears to just be true. So if you go on the premise that this really is a fraud and there aren't any assets here, um, it's amazing the stock still has a $14 billion market cap. Um, so I, I, again, like this is the same as Hertz, right? Hertz still trades at you know $1.40 and way above zero. People still think there's some equity value. But for Nikola, I mean, it seems like the CEO is a fraud. It seemed like he hired uh, his brother who has no idea what he's doing and has no uh, experience at all in hydrogen biofuels or whatever Nikola claims to do. So I don't know what the end game is for this company. I mean, I think Hindenburg hit him pretty hard and they've yet to respond back. 
Yeah, and when it comes to, to bullish or bearish, um, you know, I'll, I'll claim to having thrown a naked put at, at Nikola last week when it hit $53 or whatever after the news of that GM stake and manufacturing partnership came out. Uh, just knowing that that still doesn't make these vehicles any closer to being ready to be manufactured, even if there is a manufacturer. Um, it's still vaporware and a very, very expensive Photoshop. So that was a no-brainer. And this was before the, uh, the Hindenburg article even came out. So you know, that was just a pleasant surprise that I was front-running uh, that trade from them. But with, with a stock like this, when when there really is nothing other than a piece of news or, or um, a huge influx of speculative volume rather than honest investors, then you can almost guarantee on there being a lot of profit taking or uh, people that bought in at the top realizing that they're now holding the bag and trying to get out of there as quick as possible. So that was a no brainer short. And at this point, you know, that trade may be over for the time being with Nikola actually closing up uh, 366. Do you, well, do you think GM pulls their partnership with them? It, it seems like I was reading headlines today that GM is claiming to have done appropriate diligence in quotes on Nikola, but it, it would be hard to imagine that they continue partnering with them if any of these allegations are true. At the end of the day, all it takes is showing some type of functioning technology functioning in a mildly convincing way in a cell phone video for the most part, not to dispel necessarily these allegations, but you know, that would be the easiest and most sort of believable response. And that hasn't came. So, you know, that can pretty much uh, give give pretty high certainty that the allegations from Hindenburg are correct and that, you know, there really isn't anything there if they haven't come back and just shut these these allegations down immediately. So that there's there's really not anything, I think, to to value in this company. That said, you know, it's still just what is it worth? And, you know, I don't think it's going to zero necessarily. Um, but does GM pull out now? I think that, you know, if they went into this deal uh, like a, a FOMO Robinhood investor and didn't actually see any functioning technology or something that they saw marketable value in, then you know, they've definitely got pie in their face. So really the only recourse for them is to basically flip it on Nikola and just claim that they were also misled, which, you know, definitely makes it worse for, for Nikola. I don't know, you know, why they would want to sort of save face there since this is a pretty big PR disaster all around. So yeah, GM, unless they, they were pretty dumb and realize it and don't want to come out as looking really, really dumb, then obviously they need to back out of this somewhat and, you know, place blame squarely at the feet of Nikola. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, it seems pretty risky to try to trade it at that point. A pretty savvy move uh, on your end, um, having the naked put uh, ahead of the Hindenburg report. So congratulations on that one. Um, only other news I kind of wanted to cover, Apple has a big event this week. Um, it doesn't seem like they're going to announce anything major, but I'm wondering if that could kind of give new legs to the stock uh, after it's tailed off a bit after hitting new highs a couple weeks ago. Thoughts on Apple? Well, I'm I'm personally not not because of this event, but um, took took a small position long on the dip Friday with Apple because to our our conversation earlier in this conversation, uh, nothing has really changed. Apple is still going to be the best and most popular stock for a number of reasons, um, at least for the time being. That's certainly subject to change. Um, so with with that cool off, it doesn't change the fact that it's still 
you know, got to be the most reasonable investment. No one went broke investing in Apple. So a, a rebound or some type of retracement is definitely to be expected. But that said, the uh, common, common wisdom, I suppose, which probably means that the opposite is going to happen, is that Apple tends to sell off on these types of events. Um, apparently, we're not going to get an announcement about a new uh, iPhone, just new watches and iPads. So it sounds fairly insignificant since most of the stuff leaks ahead of time anyways. Um, but since it has sold off, this could very well be a catalyst for a move up. Um, you know, so I'm preparing for either situation, either, you know, they jam it up in the morning. I think the uh, event um, starts sometime around 10 or 11 Eastern, uh, jam it up at open and then sell it off around the time of the event. Or, you know, if it's definitely lagging, uh, or, or just facing maybe a little sell pressure, even just low volume earlier, there's a good chance it could bounce on that considering that, you know, it was trading above 130 uh, just a couple weeks ago. So there's, there's definitely a potential catalyst there. I'm not trading around that event per se. For me, it was more of a technical uh, decision based on where the price uh, was bouncing. But um, if I just happen to have that wind in my sails, I, I won't be unhappy about it, but I'm certainly not uh, waiting or expecting for that to be the move and, you know, looking for your price target in the interim around 120. Um, we'll see where it opens tomorrow. It's moving up um, after hours here. But uh, if, if the continued strength, at least early in the day today, carries over to tomorrow, um, Apple, just to the extreme exposure and all the ETFs and indexes of the markets having a good day, will certainly have a really good day as well. And it's probably long overdue uh, considering the beatdown it's had. Yep. Uh, I, I think it, it'll be interested to see what they announce. Um, as a, a, a holder, a longtime holder of Apple, um, don't really expect it to change the story all that much. Uh, right now, I would say as a shareholder, the thing I'm really worried about is the ongoing clash with Epic and the App Store, as well as other developers on that 30% cut of revenue they take. I feel like they're sustaining bad PR on this day after day after day. Um, and I feel like Tim Cook is going to be forced to do something just for antitrust purposes, but that is for another podcast. Uh, before we move on to uh, the scores of our various bets for the week, wanted to pick your brain on um, one thing you put on the show notes for today, Mike Green and passive investing. So I know Mike Green, I think, has worked for Peter Thiel's fund in uh, various capacities and is not a fan of passive investing. So as, as someone who has holds a lot of ETFs and has been a passive investor for quite a long time, though, what should I be worried about here? Yeah. And so uh, this gentleman, Mike Green, just uh, showed up on my radar recently. He's doing, I guess, a podcast tour. Um, this is the chief strategist at Logica Capital. Um, but the uh, his topics are many, but the one that stands out to me are his points on passive investing. And it's not so much whether or not passive investing is good or bad, but what is the effect of passive investing and how much of the market and the market action is due to uh, passive investing, which really means things like ETFs or uh, large index funds and generally um, also robo uh, investors. So the types of things that in general, young people invest in since uh, older generations, boomers tend to do uh, more stock picking or be, be uh, a little more um, specific in where their investments are versus just having a, an exposure to everything uh, like a lot of this past investing does. But the percentage of the overall float has been rapidly increasing. It's actually somewhere around 42 or 40% of shares traded 
um, are in passive investing portfolios and that number is only increasing. Um, so there's an interesting inflection point when it gets to about 50%. And what's interesting about passive investing is that the way they operate is basically they, they buy as soon as they get inflows. So as soon as someone puts more money in, they buy more stock and they only sell when someone wants to turn some of their uh, holdings into cash or basically cash out. So there isn't any trading based on the price action. And for the most part, there is much more inflow than outflow. So this really creates a dynamic where they are buying at all times, no matter what, regardless of the price, just as they are receiving new cash. And so when we look at the dynamic of the last couple of weeks, um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of headlines given to Massasan and um, the unveiling of the NASDAQ whale who was uh, opening a, a massive amount of way out of the money calls and tech names like Tesla, um, NASDAQ, and just you can imagine which stocks, uh, which led to this sort of gamma squeeze scenario where the market just pulls higher on very low volume, but the only people buying are both the, the market makers, the ones who have to uh, buy stock to hedge against these calls and passive investing funds. So when we talk about what's different or what's really changed, you know, the influence of passive investing portfolios is something that's only going to continue to grow regardless of sort of news and monetary events. And the effect that this has of just the overall net buying is just going to continue to push prices higher because when you assume that the market is already or always efficient and that whatever price it's trading at is the right price, um, that's just a very strong force that's continuing to grow in strength that's going to push the market higher. Now that said, it can also operate in the opposite fashion where if there is a massive you know, drawdown of investors in those passive funds, then there will be just massive indiscriminate selling um, only because there is this transfer of equity to cash um, that now exists rather than any type of specific market dynamic. So that's how you could definitely see some of these cascading moves either up or down that, you know, start small and then just end in a blow off top or uh, just a, a massive sell off that that only accelerates um, as sort of either the greed or fear uh, or more specifically savings in fear. Uh, are just added to the equation. So um, I think that's going to become one of the more dominant effects on what we see here, not so much the headlines, the things you see when you read a Bloomberg article or whatever about what happened in the market today. Um, it's what's operating under the hood and what sort of you know drives the dynamic of when you're asking yourself, who's buying this at this price? Well, there is massive amounts of passive investing portfolios that are just going to continue buying. And as long as you're throwing, throwing your dollars in them, they, they're going to continue to, to grow. So that, that was something I learned this week. I like that. Another good uh, sound effect. I, I mean, I think as someone who considers themselves a fundamental investor and is somewhat of a stock picker, although I do invest in quite a few passive funds myself, to me, it's a source of market inefficiency you could definitely take advantage of. And I also think about, and this isn't exactly related to some of the examples you gave, but there are various ETFs that can't hold over a certain percentage allocation of a single stock. So if you look at ARK, which is kind of a proxy uh, for investing in the most innovative companies, uh, which is actively managed for what it's worth, but they've always said that they're not going to hold over 10% of a specific name. So when Tesla was making its massive bull run, they were running, uh, they were selling to uh, get under that 10% cap uh, for an individual stock. And you know, for S&P 500 funds, it's kind of a similar story. 
they have to market weight um, by market cap. So the names that get bigger get a higher allocation and the names that get smaller get a lower allocation. And when you think about things like spinoffs or uh, you know, stocks that are heavily shorted or short squeezed, you end up with this kind of um, uh, you know, ripple effect where big moves go higher and um, you know, short moves go shorter. So uh, I think it's an opportunity to uh, make entries that are either due to indiscriminate selling or um, if you're on the short side, uh, buying that makes no sense. So it's interesting that so these passive investing vehicles are creating more volatility in the market. Uh, I feel like the SEC probably should be looking at that. Uh, but that's the world we live in and you got to take advantage of it if uh, you're trying to actively trade the markets. So yeah, definitely some interesting stuff there. Um, anything else on passive investing or should we head off to uh, scores for our bets for the week? Well, real quick, I just want to check in with uh, friends of the podcast, the Precious Metals, uh, and where they're at after that uh, big rip up through July. Um, we've definitely seen some consolidation in silver and gold. And so I've been feeling another leg up for, for quite some time. So I just did want to add that uh, September has traditionally been the best month for precious metals uh, in terms of month over month returns going back something like 50 years. Uh, and you also tend to see a high amount of volume, uh, especially around Fed announcements like um, last time our buddy Jay Powell was talking in Jackson Hole. Uh, saw prices on both gold and silver just rip up before the announcement and then sell off immediately. So um, in in this particular instance with uh, the FOMC minutes coming out Wednesday, looking for um, a high amount of volume there. Definitely could be a positive catalyst. Um, looking for gold futures to get over 2,000. Once um, they get over big round, significant numbers like that, they tend to rip. Um, and there's definitely room to run for, for silver as well. So that's one to watch. Um, if you aren't already in precious metals, uh, definitely consider uh, getting in, you know, maybe sometime tomorrow in, you know, the GLD and SLV ETFs are nice vehicles there. Um, watching for the event where GLD gets below 180 or silver below $24. Um, those are my exits there. But with that consolidation, have found some, some nice supports well above those levels. So I think there's definitely some room to run. And considering that inflation is the name of the game, and it looks like the dollar is uh, has topped at least for the short term, um, I think the prognosis is is very positive for our shiny friends. So that's one to watch. Yeah, it's a trade I continue to like. Where I think uh, it's like a heads you win, tails you win. Not saying that uh, the precious metals are immune from from everything, but in a in a bear market, I like it as a safety hedge, and also rates continuing to go lower. In a bull market, I think we're going to see inflation. So again, uh, an excellent inflation hedge on the precious metals. All right, let's get into some of the bets we've made. So on May 1st, we made this $100 bet, uh, Berkshire versus Triple Q. Um, I'm finally closing the gap. So as of April 1st, uh, Triple Q has returned 29% and BRKB has returned 20%. I think if you don't count the early weeks, this is the closest has ever been. So BRKB has actually uh, really caught a bid over the last couple of weeks. Um, I mean, I think I bought a ton at 170. Uh, Buffett himself in the last quarter bought back 5 billion of stock, which is the most that Berkshire has ever bought back in absolute dollar terms. So I'm, I'm happy the market is starting to realize um, that there's some value here in Berkshire. So I think I'm going to continue to close the gap and I think I could win this bet. 
Yeah, and you know, we're we're checking in a good time for you. The uh, queues have been as as oversold as they have since March. Um, so, like the uh, kind of terrible expression goes, the you're shorting the queues is like trying to hold a, a beach ball underwater, and it's been bouncing around uh, just above the fifty period moving average. So, this looks like a, a nice spot for it to bounce. So, no, we'll we'll check in on that. I'm still feeling confident, but this is very much, as we've said before, a a tortoise versus the hare uh, with your BRKB tortoise to the uh, queues hare. But I would be very delighted if there was some type of, of cosmic comeuppance delivered to, to the queues in that we find out uh, Margaritaville Buffett has uh, increased his holdings of gold miners. Uh, if you'll remember, he um, notably, uh, well, maybe not he specifically, but Berkshire uh, took a position in Barrick's Gold, ticker G-O-L-D. So I'd be very delighted to find that he has also added to that position, uh, cut some more banks. Um, and added some more gold miners like uh, Newmont, NEM, one I'm, I'm very bullish on moving forward. Um, and then maybe uh, he wouldn't be in some junior miners just because he could basically buy them with a, a small investment. But finding, finding that he's taken a big position in gold and that outperforms tech the rest of the year um, would definitely be a scenario that I see possible. You know, maybe not super likely, but um, you know, if there is some type of, of general weakness in the markets, they you know retest either the bottom of the March lows or the the megaphone formation that you know everybody's seen at this point. Then that definitely is going to be a boost for um, uh, things like gold mining and some of the different industries that that Warren's in, um, where it has a book value where it can't really at least get any cheaper. Um, whereas certainly tech can. So I, I do like the prospects moving forward, but I don't know how much is really going to change. Um, we still got several months ahead, but I think, um, you know, I'll at least put a nice buffer between you and, and Buffett uh, with the cues. I'm very bullish on uh, Buffett's snowflake investment. Uh, it, it's, it's rare you see Berkshire uh, put money into a company that's about to trade at 73 times sales. But I did hear that Geico and some of the Berkshire portfolio companies use Snowflake behind the scenes. So perhaps this is an informed investment where uh, his portfolio companies know something about Snowflake that we don't. Um, but who, go ahead. Since Warren doesn't invest in businesses he doesn't understand, do you think that uh, 92-year-old 90, uh, Margaritaville is, is going to be able to wrap his, his mind around uh, cloud-based software as a service. What you know, I don't even know Snowflake. I mean, I, I've used Snowflake, and I can't say I understand a quarter of the stuff it does. I mean, I, I posted this on my Twitter, but uh, there's a great blog called um, Hypergrowth that did like a. It's got to be ten thousand words on Snowflake. I mean, the amount of things this company does is insane, and I think unless you're deeply technical, there's it's very difficult to understand what they're doing and how they're doing it. So. I'm not confident that anyone at Berkshire, much less anyone in the entire world, uh, really understands all the things that Snowflake does. So perhaps uh, he's violating his core tenet of don't invest in things you don't understand. Um, okay, two more bets, and then we'll wrap this podcast up. So on August 10th, um, I took MGM. Um, and in a move that has nothing to do with sports gambling, you took CrowdStrike. I think that we were just talking about casinos versus uh, tech in general. Uh, so you are up uh, a lot. I'm not going to come back from this uh, pummeling. You are uh, up 32% since that bet was made, and I am up 7%. Um, so not much to say on CrowdStrike versus MGM. I still think MGM is a long-term hold, and I'm very bullish long-term. I also hold uh, CrowdStrike in my long-term portfolio, so like both. Um, and then finally, the battle of the lame footwear. We made this bet August 17th. 
um, Crocs for Skechers. This one is really close. Um, I do have news to report on Crocs since last time we talked. So Crocs raised guidance. Um, they, uh, for Q3 revenue, are now projecting uh, $305 million versus 295 last time they forecasted. Um, so increase of 11% for full year revenue. Um, pretty impressive. Crocs, uh, very confident going into 2021. Stock rallied a ton the day they, uh, they raised guidance. Um, however, despite all of that, um, I'm up 8% on Crocs since that bet was made, and you were up 7% on Skechers. Uh, actually, no commentary to offer on Skechers. I have not looked at their investor relations webpage one time. Um, so not sure what's going on at that company. Price is all you need to know there. All about price action. All right, buddy. Uh, as always, real quick, real quick, I just want to give a little context there to both those bets. So the MGM versus CrowdStrike, you had made a comment that you're most bullish about uh, betting, um, and specifically with MGM as your your vehicle to bet on betting. Uh, to which I said, yeah, you know, I see upside there, but I'm much more bullish here on uh, cloud SaaS, specifically cybersecurity. So that is the the genesis of our waiver, wager. Real quick, um, while you were on vacation, CrowdStrike earnings came out, which uh, they'd been absolutely ripping, tearing from um, about 97 when I called that out on uh, one of these podcasts, which, you know, um, all the way up above 140, only to be the latest in a long line of cloud SaaS companies to just sell off after great earnings, uh, only because it'd run up too much. But beat on earnings, beat on profits, raised on guidance, just looked absolutely gorgeous. Uh, an Amazonian looking stock there, uh, and has been absolutely beaten down. So I think that there is a, a lot to still like about uh, CrowdStrike, especially with the, the discount now trading, closed at about uh, 128.50. Um, so it's it's held up pretty well above the previous all-time high, above 120 during that sell-off last week, um, which got that double whammy of the earnings and then um, just getting hit with that Thursday sell-off from the previous all-time highs in the market. Uh, so that's still one to watch there. And then with the bet about our beloved shoe brands, my whole point there is that there's nothing special about the, the, the giblets or whatever that you, you get to personalize your your Crocs with. This is a function of, of the times uh, and, and where we are. So if, if Crocs is going to be successful, then another beloved, beloved by who? I don't really know. Uh, shoe brand Skechers is, is going to be definitely keeping pace. I wouldn't be surprised if they, they outperform. So that was me fading Crocs and not necessarily being bullish on Skechers, but I'm very pleased to know that a, a an uninformed bet, even though I had some nice fundamentals there, I'm pretty sure Skechers is a lot more cash and more retail locations, whatever that's worth in this particular instance, but uh, has panned out better than I expected. So, you know, looking forward to uh, a, a positive result week over week here, or at least not selling off as hard as you do uh, when we run into some of that and potentially the medium term, near term, who knows. Just want to clarify, it's pronounced gibbets, and uh, they're a big part of Crocs' revenue going forward. So just wanted to clear that up, uh, remain hyper bullish on Crocs. As always, man, another incredible podcast. Uh, thanks for being on. Oh, yeah. And final closing words, people, for the love of Jeebus, don't short in the hole. All right. Don't wait till the bottom to try and short something. And uh, you'll, you'll do a lot better with it. And that's all I got to say. So looking forward to next time. It's going to be a crazy week in the market. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to chat about next time. Until next time.
Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com. Thank you.